Welcome to Hippie Witch, magic for a new age. I'm your host, Joanna DeBone, and this is a happy, hippie place for talking all things magic, witches and fiction, and creating the kick-ass life of your dreams. Hi, thanks for joining me for episode 427 of Hippie Witch, Magic for a New Age. My name is Joanna DeVoe and I am the kooky creatrix behind Kick-Ass Witch, putting the K in magic, and Hippie Witch, the show you are listening to right now. I also have a free ebook by that name, Hippie Witch, Peace, Love, and all that good shit, and you can pick up a copy of that at www.joannadevoe.com or Back on the description page for this episode, back on blog talk radio, where you will also find a link to today's special guest, Sarah Lyons, the author of Revolutionary Witchcraft, a guide to magical activism, which I believe with the current state of politics could not be more timely. So yes, we are going to be talking about politics here today, but from a witch's perspective and hopefully in a way that leaves you feeling empowered and excited about the future. Today though, today, not the future. This actual moment is November 23rd, 2019 and I wanted to note that here for future listeners because we are living in exciting scary times my friends wacky and wild and I believe historically unprecedented I always strive to be impartial here on the rare times that I do mention politics because it's important to me that everyone who listens to the show feels respected. I will say though that that has at times been a struggle, especially the past few years. And most of the time I choose to just not go there at all because I don't fully trust myself to hold my tongue. Not completely. (laughs) I also believe that one of the most unproductive things that we can do when the world is so fiercely divided as it currently seems to be is to further alienate and try to publicly shame the people who have had a perfectly natural response to the psychological weapon, really, that is propaganda. Propaganda is, it's a weapon. It's a part of the psychological warfare, the digital warfare that is happening right now. And it is insidiously destructive because it destroys your sense of truth from the inside out. Up becomes down and left becomes right. And if anybody tries to tell you otherwise, they become the enemy. So if you try to make someone feel like an idiot for falling into and believing an extremely well-funded state-sponsored lie that is delivered by sources they like and trust, they are far more inclined to side with the lie than you. 
So what can we do? I, for starters, I think we can just educate ourselves about what propaganda is and how it works and then educate our children as well. I recently, sometimes I get a little fire under my ass and I turn to Twitter. <laughs> Twitter, Twitter, you know I love the Twitter. And I posted this a couple of days ago and I thought, I think I'm going to read that on the podcast because I do think it's really important not just regarding politics, but regarding social dynamics to teach our kids what is up, particularly now that the internet is, it's like our second brain and our, maybe our first community. A lot of people are losing touch with their local communities and finding a sense of, and I'm not saying this is a bad thing, but finding a sense of community online as so many of us have done, like finding our witchy tribe. I'm not saying this is a bad thing, except sometimes our kids are targeted by these hate-based communities that are designed to separate them from their own sense of truth. So this is what I posted to Twitter. I said, if you want the next generation to grow up strong and immune to political slash social shenanigans, teach your kids critical thinking skills, how to identify gaslighting, the power in telling the truth, how to set and hold healthy boundaries, and how to recognize and value their own intuition. And I am saying it like this because I agree with myself. Yes, yes. First, we teach ourselves those things, and then we teach our kids. And I just wanted to break it down a little bit, just a couple of the terms there that I mentioned in that post. And one is critical thinking. So what is critical thinking? I'm not going to tell you in my own words. I just went to criticalthinking.org and cut and pasted this little bit from their website. And this is what criticalthinking.org has to say. Everyone thinks it is our nature to do so. But so much of our thinking left to itself is biased, distorted, partial, uninformed, or downright prejudiced. Yet the quality of our life and that of what we produce, make, or build depends precisely on the quality of our thought. Shoddy thinking is costly, both in money and in quality of life. Excellence in thought, however, must be systemically cultivated. Critical thinking is that mode of thinking about any subject content, or problem in which the thinker improves the quality of his or her thinking by skillfully taking charge of the structures inherent in thinking and imposing intellectual standards upon them. Is this too much? Is it too nerdy? Is it too boring? Keep in mind, (laughs) I'm a person who often says that I'm a bit of a mind witch, so of course, Critical thinking would interest me. And there's, there is much debate actually about what the skills of critical thinking are, which is really the most critical thinking thing ever <laughs> for there to be a debate around that. But I like this basic 
easy to understand little presentation that study.com created to demonstrate how critical thinking can be divided into the following three core skills. Number one, curiosity, the desire to learn more information and seek evidence as well as being open to new ideas. I feel like our witchy community really has a handle on number one. Maybe not so much number two. <laughs> number two is skepticism. Having a healthy questioning attitude about new information that you are exposed to and not blindly believing everything everyone tells you. Number three, humility. The ability to admit that your opinions and ideas are wrong when faced with new convincing evidence that states otherwise. I actually think we're pretty good at number three, too. And some of us are great at number two. But just if there's a weakness in the three in the witchy community, I'd say it's probably, probably skepticism. <laughs> and I think critical thinking is important in many more ways than just politics. And I think that it's really important for the New Age community to educate ourselves about this when there are charismatic leaders capitalizing on our willingness to believe in order to then indoctrinate us into a world of, and I'm not saying any of these things are bad. I'm just saying, you know, we can be seduced by lots of talk about angels and fairies and tarot cards and oracle cards, but then have that same teacher turn around years later and millions of dollars later to say that those things are actually of the devil and that now we need to repent and be saved by the church to spare our poor magic-loving souls from burning in hell forever. Which I, if you had told me this 10 years ago that that, that would happen to this community, I would not believe you. But, but here we are and it has happened to so many really sweet people that I like a lot. And to me, that's an abuse of power. And I hate to see it impacting the lives of so many awesome people. So I wanted to kind of include that here that, you know, like skepticism is our friend, you know. And then gaslighting. Gaslighting is another one that I wanted to just say a word about. And gaslighting... If you don't know, gaslighting is basically the grown-up version of saying, I know you are, but what am I? When someone calls you out on your shit. And slightly more sophisticated than that is when they do it before you've had a chance to call them out on their shit. Essentially beating you to it and making you look like the one who is gaslighting them, which is peak gaslighting and a favorite tool of the narcissist. And then swinging back around to politics, I just want to say one more thing, and then I will cut to this awesome chat with Sarah Lyons. Although, also, I guess I should give a, a I'll give a little trigger warning, too. I do say the T word, the big bad T word, the name, that infamous name that starts with a T and ends with a rump. And so many people find upsetting when mentioned. Both his supporters, actually, if it is said in a negative context, and then the disbelieving rest of us. 
but I only say it once in the beginning of this interview, and then the rest of what we talk about is more general and focused on issues like environmentalism and economic equality, and it is so not boring. It's super interesting, and, and it gets witchier as we go along, which I love, because this book, Revolutionary Witchcraft, hello, it was written by a witch. I also mentioned in this interview why I personally tend to vote for moderates. And I know that many of you, maybe a majority of you, will think that I am delusional for voting that way, much less admitting it publicly. But that is the beauty of democracy. You get to think I'm wrong, and I get to think you're wrong, and we each get to put the weight of a vote behind our opinion, which becomes a whole other topic of concern once you educate yourself about voter suppression. But don't let that stop you. Don't let this whole voter suppression situation stop you from exercising your right. Show up at the ballot box every opportunity you get. Truly, do it for your own soul, if nothing else. And my... My take on politics as a whole is this. Most of us want the same things. Safety and freedom being at the top of that list. But we all have different ideas about the strategy needed to achieve and maintain those goals. Ultimately, unless you are a terrorist or a Nazi or some other nefarious brand of shithead, we are all on the same side. I believe that, and I choose to honor that to the best of my ability with as much patience and kindness as I can muster on any given day. So please, if anything said during this interview pushes your buttons or just interests or excites you, Feel free to discuss. Please do, but can we please also do it in a way that honors and respects our right to disagree, which is the foundation of democracy and a huge privilege that many people in other parts of the world are denied. So I will get down off my soapbox now and let you listen to this awesome conversation with Sarah Lyons. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to Hippie Witch. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. This is going to be super interesting and timely, although maybe you could argue revolutionary witchcraft is always timely. It's always a good time for revolution. That's what I say. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) So the name of your book is Revolutionary Witchcraft, A Guide to Magical Activism. And that is why I wanted to have you on the show to unpack that it's such a title and and the book is gorgeous first of all it's all illustrated so I was instantly smitten and then what I love about it is your tone as a writer it's very brisk and it's just like roll up your sleeves and get busy you know and I think (laughs) that, that really suits the message Thank you. Yeah, I um I really wanted the the tone of the book to be as approachable and as like fun and uh yeah, like I guess brisk is a good way to put it as as fast moving as I could make it cuz I'm kind of looking at the book as as probably a lot of 
people's, especially if you're a young person kind of reading the book, it's, it's probably a lot of people's first book on political theory or activism, or maybe it's people's first introduction to like what maybe like left politics kind of are. And I feel like a lot of books out there that are trying to be that still weigh people down in a ton of jargon and are very erudite and, you know, oh, if you haven't read Kropotkin, how dare you even begin to talk about this subject? And I kind of think that if you can't describe this stuff to people at a, you know, basic colloquial level, you're not really doing radical work. You know, you're still keeping things kind of out of people's hands. So I try to really make it as fun and accessible as possible. So I'm happy that you like the tone of it. That's such a great point, too, because that's really, I think, in part how Trump got to be president of the United States is by speaking to people at their level of not, I mean, I don't know that he's capable of this, but not speaking over their heads, right? Yeah. I think you really have to, when you're talking about politics, which is about everybody, politics is super personal. You have to use language that everybody can relate to. And because I know that my audience is very mixed, I think we are primarily a left-leaning bunch, but I do know there are some Republicans sprinkled throughout. I would love to get your take on why you, why you lean to the left. You're an organizer with New York City Democrat Socialists of America, which is very left. That's more left than, you know, like a moderate <laughs> Democrat. It's kind of the... The direction I think maybe the party is going but I would love to hear your take on why like why why did you gravitate that way sure yeah so I mean I guess I'll give a little bit of background on DSA and then I'll, I'll go like way super back but um yeah, like, so DSA, uh, Democratic Socialists of America, was an organization that was started in the 60s, I believe. It's the, the oldest, or not the oldest, it's the largest socialist organization in the United States right now. And the Democratic part comes from not so much the Democratic Party, but it comes from, from the idea that, like, we believe in total democracy and believe that people and communities and workplaces should be run through a democratic process that, you know, if a decision is going to affect you, you should have a say in what that decision gets to be. And that doesn't just extend to, you know, elected officials and to, you know, electoral politics, but yeah, like I said, it extends to our workplaces, to our communities, uh, things like that. So I grew up in a pretty political household. My mother was a politician in the Democratic Party for most of my young life. And I don't really remember a time when there wasn't the news. Like my childhood is like me playing with friends, but the news is on in the background. And like always, there's always something political happening around me as, you know, as far back as I can remember, like going to the Democratic convention and, uh, you know, campaigning for whatever. I mean, I, I campaigned for Gore to be, to be honest, like all the way, but like, and that's, I mean, I was, a. can I swear on this podcast? Absolutely. Oh, thank God. Okay. Uh, yeah, but I, I was a fucking, I was a fucking like baby. So I didn't know, I didn't know what I was doing or where I was, but so I was, I was thrown into this at a pretty young age. So I didn't have the option to not be a political person, but, um, I think that, you know, I, I didn't know the privileges that I really had too well until I started to get a little older and started to kind of look around at like how I was living my life and how friends of mine were living their lives. Uh, I moved to Massachusetts when I was in about fourth grade. And when I did that, you know, uh, we went from kind of a very wealthy suburb of DC to 
a very rural area and I had friends that were homeless and were moving from rental house to rental house. I had friends who had never left that region that we were all living in. They had never been on a plane before. I had flown a bunch of times and I started to realize that, you know, I was incredibly financially privileged in a way that a lot of people around me weren't. And I knew that that was, that was different or odd, but I don't think it was until I kind of graduated college and I kind of steadily started to move more left so that I started to see that just how much economics and just how much capitalism really dictates everything in our society. And, and we all experience different levels of oppression or privilege or all those types of buzzwords. But I really realized it was like, oh, like I've been given this huge financial benefit, this huge up about, around a lot of people. And I can either use that to just benefit myself and just kind of perpetuate stuff, or I can use the time and the money that I've been given to kind of help and do what I can with that that privilege that I've been given to sort of undo the very systems that allowed a person like me to exist in the first place and allowed this sort of injustice to exist in the first place. So I consider myself somebody on the left and like not just not just liberal, but on the left, because I think I think all of our struggles are deeply connected. I think that you can't really take one aspect of our lives or one aspect of a political struggle and isolate it. And I think that ultimately, if you're if we're not talking about economics and if we're not talking about a system like capitalism that bakes hierarchy and bakes injustice into the very like molten lava of our society and the very you know tectonic plates that move our society, then we're not really talking about justice and we're not really talking about creating new systems that are better than perhaps the ones that we have right now. Right. And so it's holistic. It's racism, it's poverty, it's environmental issues, it's systemic and the approach to coming up with some kind of solution needs to be holistic, I think is what I hear you saying. Yeah. So, I mean, so I do, a lot of my work that I do is related to the climate and the environment. And I think that climate change is this such a perfect example of this because really when we're talking about climate change, we're talking about the culmination of every problem in our society hitting home at the same time. Like climate change isn't just happening because the earth is getting warmer. This is, this is a result of racism. It's a result of capitalism. It's a result of sexism. It's a result of colonialism. It's a result of all of these terrible things making themselves into like this one big problem. And I think that that on the one hand makes it incredibly scary, but I think on the other hand, it, it really does open up a window of opportunity. You know, if we are, if we look at it for what it is and if we really do address it head on in the, for the problems that it is, then we have the opportunity to kind of fix all of these problems. We have a chance to really look holistically at our society and say, well, how did all of this add up to our very species being threatened with extinction? And hopefully we can use it as an opportunity to go back and retcon all of that, you know, and and run and redo it. Yeah. So I would be interested to know how racism and sexism ties into the current climate crisis. Is, are you, is that what you're saying? Yeah. So I think that, you know, if you look at asthma rates, um, I live in New York City. I live in Queens in New York City. If you look at where a company like, let's say, like Con Edison puts, 
you know, its generation plants and its distribution plants for its energy, the places that it puts all of these things are in communities of color. And those communities have the highest rates of asthma as a result of, Mm -hmm. you know, something like that. And then, you know, if you, if you are a child with asthma that affects you, you know, for the rest of your life, you have to, it puts a financial burden on top of you that other people don't necessarily have. It, 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 you know, it affects every kind of layer of that society when, when again, like we had some big blackouts going on here over the summertime and on the hottest day of the year, Con Ed decided to shut off power to largely communities and people of color in parts of Brooklyn to do repairs. And this is the day that people needed their ACs running the absolute most, and they voluntarily cut off their power there. And that's to say nothing of all this fracked gas and all of this, all these fossil fuels are being extracted a lot of times from poor communities. If you were were looking at places like Pennsylvania, like a lot of poor white communities are affected by this, but also indigenous nations here in the United States and in Canada are, you know, having their treaties totally trodden upon, having their rights trodden upon. And like, I think if you look at something like the Standing Rock Sioux Reservation and the, you know, the Standing Rock protests against the Dakota Access Pipeline, there was a white community north of that uh, reservation that was going to have that pipeline put through it. And the community said, we don't want this. And so they moved it south to, you know, the reservation, just north of the reservation. And they said, well, we don't want this here either. But, you know, who do they listen to? So climate change is a mess with racism because America has a racial caste system and racism is baked into every, you know, facet of our society. Because of that, it's going to, it affects people of color worse. It affects the people who are doing the absolute least to cause the crisis the, the most and the first and the harshest. Mm-hmm. I had a client, shout out to Charlotte, if you're listening, who was just so radical. She was really involved with radical feminism and, and the group that she was into linked it to veganism and their philosophy was that like a culture that treats animals in a certain way, like that's how they treat women. I think, I hope I'm getting this correctly, but they made this link that I had never even had a blink of a thought of before. <laughs> I was like, wow, yeah, really interesting. And uh, so that, I forget the name of the organization, but that was their specific emphasis so that's why I asked you about like sexism and racism and how are these things linked and how do they inform each other? And because I'm really curious, this is just, I'm just asking for your opinion. And I know like the experts and scientists on this topic disagree with each other. So, you know, it's, we're just going to state this as your opinion, but what do you think about veganism, monocrops, permaculture? Do you think that there's a solution dietarily yeah this issue well so i mean i'm i'm a vegetarian i don't eat meat because of my beliefs and because i think that you know eating meat seems right now to be pretty bad for the environment it does seem to be a huge correlation and a big connection like all these fires are happening in the rainforest to make room for more beef so maybe we should be eating less beef right now so i do think that like if that's something that you have the ability to do, it might be something worth looking into. I do think, though, that ultimately, and I don't, this isn't me saying that I think veganism is bad, because I don't think it's bad. I think it's actually a really good thing. But I think that because we do like live under capitalism, what 
that amounts to as a consumer choice and a lifestyle choice doesn't amount to a change in the system that created the problem to begin with. What brought us to where we are right now is the fact that, you know, we have a system that puts profits above all else, that values money and values the the well-being of those who have the means to create their own wealth above literally every single thing on the planet, right? We don't have a system where people, our own well-being, our health, our children, animals, plants, the environment, our communities, like those are all weighed against the profits of a CEO or a company, right? And any sort of decision made just in a consumer sort of way is like, sure, there's, there's better things to buy. And there's, I think that, you know, we should be eating more locally. I think we should be farming our food in different ways. I think that we should be cutting down on the meat we eat. But as long as this exists under the umbrella of, you know, profit for the few, while the rest of us are kind of left to our own devices, I, I don't know how much it's going to fix the underlying problems. It feels like kind of a band-aid to me. So I think it's a good decision to make if you can make it. But I think a couple hours a week of service in, in order to try to change the system and try to make a better world, a couple hours of activism, I think, is, is also a good thing to do if that's, if that's what you're able to do. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we all have different uh, skills and different gifts that we can give and different amounts that we can, you know... We can't all give the same amount. We can't all do the same actions. So I also do like see and appreciate that. That like if all somebody can do is like go vegan, then like great. That's what you can. That's what you can do. That's what you can bring to this. Yeah, I, I'm a fan of like holistic permaculture. Like as a witch, as a pagan, to me it makes sense to go with nature. <laughs> but also, oh, yeah. how do you do that on a grand scale? Like it has to be personal. And I think when you put the power in the hands of a corporation to make decisions like this, they're always going to overdo it for profit. So like if everybody has to go vegan, we're going to have these hideous GMO monocrops everywhere. <laughs> and I mean, yeah, I just exactly, think it's exactly. just going to constantly create imbalance. Like every time we try to outsmart nature in the name of convenience, it ends up coming back around to bite us in the ass because we're literally going against nature <laughs> and, and as powerful yeah, as yeah. we may feel with all our money, even these super wealthy billionaires are, they're living on the same planet with us. Like it impacts everyone. Exactly. Yeah. I think that, you know, it's, if they see that veganism is going to be more profitable, they'll switch over to veganism in a second. Yes. But that doesn't mean that they're going to do it in a way that actually is going to benefit anyone but themselves. Like they're only going to make, they're only making the calculation that they see it benefits them. And you just, I think you can have a sustainable planet and a livable planet, or you can have capitalism, but I don't think that you can have both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, that interests me. I don't know what I think about that, but I did see in your book, something jumped out at me and you said, I am anti-capitalist. And I'm like, wow, she's going to throw around anti-capitalist and, <laughs> and socialist. Like this is very polarizing and interesting that you're willing to just stand on that and be like, yep, that's how I feel. Yeah. I mean, I think, well, I think a lot of people, I, I want to kind of back up because it might be instructive to sort of 
break down what I mean when I say that, right? Because I think a lot of people, when they hear I'm anti-capitalist, mean that, like, I don't want you to be able to make money or I don't want people to, like, like, people look at the job that is keeping them alive and say, I don't want that taken away from me. And, like, that's not what I'm saying. I think, like, let, if we go back, like, talking witchcraft and talking, you know, yes, what, where I kind of come from, all this as a witch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's make it witchy. So, like, if you look at something like the witch trials in Europe and let's debate about what exactly caused that and, like, what were the mechanisms going into that period of time in human history. But when you, when you kind of look at what was going on economically, like, it was the first time in European history and maybe world history that the land was becoming something that people could own. Like up until that point, there was something called the commons, which was you kind of lived either in the commons, like in the wilderness, or you lived on like a prince or a king's land, and you kind of worked that land in exchange for protection by their soldiers or what have you. And you kind of make the calculation as a peasant in the Middle Ages, like, all right, do I want to like sell half of my corn to the king in exchange for protection, or do I want to like rough it out in the wilderness, right? And a lot of witches chose to live out in the wilderness, right? They chose to live outside of those types of, those sort of plant societies or live on the edges of them, right? And when the enclosure movement started happening in places like England and continental Europe, now all of a sudden, wherever you live, you have to pay to exist there. And like anybody listening to this right now, I really want you to think back, when was the last time you existed in a place but you didn't have to pay to live there. Like even if you went to the park today and you didn't have to pay like to be in the park, like did you have to buy a subway ticket to get there? Did you have to, you know, pay for gas to drive there? You know, when was the last time you could be in a place and you could just be there, right? Oh my like, God, I live the, in Los Angeles. I live and I will freak out if I get a free parking spot. I, I'm just like, right? <laughs> I, mean, I, can, I can leave my car here for an hour and I don't have to pay anybody. Yeah. So like, it's, so I think that people, people don't really, you know, realize this, but like there was a time you could just like exist and like you, you didn't have to pay to, to live there. Right. And when that started happening, the first people to go were the witches, like the people who, whose power and whose representation was directly connected to the land itself, who were only able to exist and only able to do, you know, our art, our craft to, you know, do our magic because of our direct connection to the land. And that had to go, that had to be taken away if things were going to be owned and if all of this was going to be gobbled up. And that's in part what kind of led to the witch trials. So when I say that I'm anti-capitalist, like I really feel that in my bones as a witch, because I really do think that we have a system right now where like we, you shouldn't like your worth shouldn't be tied to, your ability to make money to survive on somebody else's piece of land. Like it should be based on just like our intrinsic connection as humans and our connection to the land as people, we should be able to have that spiritual connection to the place that we're on without all of this other stuff getting in the way. And I think that there's just people have an inherent value and land has an inherent value that you can't put a price tag on. And before they got rid of the witches, they got rid of the indigenous cultures that lived there first. And I mean, exactly, our yeah. entire country here is that. And it's really interesting every time I'm out in nature, like up in Big Sur, or I was up in the dunes of Pismo and Native Americans used to live there. I, my mind immediately goes to that every time I'm in nature, but I never think about it in the city. 
<laughs> I always, I always, and not, and I'm not saying I'm not proud to be a city witch. I am, especially in a witchy city like Los Angeles, as I know New York is mm. as well. But there's something about when you go out to nature, you start having thoughts about exactly what you're saying right now. Like, where could you go? Where, where could you go if you wanted to step outside? I know people try to live off the grid and forage for food, but I mean, is there anywhere you can just go and be free? I don't know about that. Yeah, and I think that that's, you know, when when you do that, when you put a price tag on everything, it means that you have to work for someone else, aka like a capitalist. Like you have to work for somebody else in order to make money just to survive. And like, what else could you be doing with that time? Like, yeah, maybe you would still be working. Maybe you would still be, you know, doing the stuff because you love to do it, but maybe you would have more time to connect to nature. Maybe you'd have more time for your art. Maybe we'd all have more time for our families and our friends and our loved ones, you know? And, and that's, that's what I believe that I'm fighting for is a world where like, we can just like actually be people, (laughs) you know, like I, it's like socialist because like, I believe in like society and like being social with people. And, and ultimately, like, again, like I think that we need to kind of in the same way that climate change, I think is a culmination of all these awful things, I think the thing that like we have to do and like the gift that we can give as witches to this fight is reconnecting with the earth and like reconnecting with nature and really like restoring that thing that was lost because that is the, that's the key I think to a lot of these struggles. Okay. Can I, can I challenge you a little bit on the word socialist mainly just with a few questions? Sure. Is that okay? So for me, first of all, I think a lovely bridge between socialism and capitalism is entrepreneurship. And I love that women are kicking ass in that realm. It makes sense to make your own way in the world, your own creativity, your own ideas, your own gumption and energy. And I love that the internet has facilitated that for so many of us, myself included. But when I hear the word socialism, even like under the umbrella of democracy, I think, okay, great. We're going to take a vote. I'm always the one that doesn't agree with everybody else. So I'm probably going to be in the minority. And so, you know, if 52% of people want to do this thing, I don't want to do, I'm going to be forced to do it. And I think that maybe it's being raised in a capitalist society. You can do and be anything that you dream up. Like the rebel in me is like, Fuck no. And I think that that's how Americans typically feel about that word. It's like, no, I want, you know, I want, I want full autonomy, even though we don't actually have it when you do what you're doing and, and bust out the magnifying glass. Oh, I thought the thing you were going to say that sets you off was like just Stalin or something like that. That's no, usually what no. people say. Well, like, to me, that you like the Soviet Union, and it's like no, but like that's also not like what I'm talking about. No, 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 no. Uh, no yeah, no, I'm really just thinking about like the actual like living of it, and and what would that be like, you know? And then also just the corruption in politics is like, how soon is someone going to figure out how to get their thumb on top of this? Well, like, do we live in a democracy where there isn't corruption in politics right now? No, we definitely do. We definitely <laughs> do. So, like, that's kind of what I mean is it's like, it's, you know, uh, you know, I hear what you're saying, but I feel like we're already there. Like, I feel like we're already in a deeply undemocratic, deeply corrupt system as it stands right now. I mean, like, Trump didn't get the majority of the vote. Like, whatever you think of him, like, he didn't vote. He, oh, not, no. The majority yes. of people didn't vote for him. 
Yes. And like, whatever you think of Hillary Clinton, like whatever you think of either of them, like if we were just going by like who actually voted, like the majority of people who voted didn't vote for him. And the majority of the people in the country didn't vote for either of them. So like, we're not living in a democracy. Like to say that is just, we're kidding ourselves, you know? And, and as far as like freedom to do what, what you want, like, I mean, I just know so many people who are buried under student debt, buried under medical debt. Um, you know, I have a friend who's incredibly sick, who has a ton of chronic illness and like, she's sending herself and her family into so much debt because she has to spend every day on the phone for like eight hours with insurance companies, with doctors, you know, all this stuff. And I don't feel like that feels like freedom. Like she has, she's incredibly. Oh yeah. uh, I'm totally with you you on that. So I, I, I do wonder, and I, I think, I wonder again, like how much, like, like you say, like starting your own like uh, business or doing it, starting your own art or something like that. Like, I kind of wonder how much more could people be making and how much more could people be doing on their own if we didn't have to worry about some of the stuff that we worry right now. Like if you didn't, if you didn't have to pay rent and you didn't have to pay your medical bills, like if you just didn't have those, those things to worry about and all you had to worry about was like maybe some food and like buying a a plane ticket somewhere. Like all you had to worry about was like a couple little like small expenditures here and there. Like, how much more free would you be to start your own business? How much more free would you be to like start a co-op or to pursue some artistic thing that you want to do? Like I, I just see so many people in my generation that have such incredible minds and such incredible ideas and so much like passion and intelligence and they're burdened under all of this weight of debt and payments and bills. And I, I wonder how much more free they could all be if they just didn't have that. Yeah. And I think especially when it comes to women, I mean, I think this was again, like back to, back to witchcraft and back to, you know, the, the early modern period, like so much of what we do is totally devalued because of capitalism, like, because it doesn't make somebody else money. Like so much of like quote unquote women's work, like raising children, having children, cleaning the home, tending to the family business, paying the bills, like the, the sort of stuff that has often fallen on women in society. Like we don't get paid for that shit. Oh my God. Because and the irony, the irony, the irony is they can make money off our bodily functions, even as they're not paying exactly. us money for our work. They'll tax the hell out of us for tampons. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And it's like, wait, what? Like, I'm sorry. Like this entire economy is run because of unpaid labor of women. Like that's, that's how everything gets done. So no one, no one paid, no one paid your mom to raise you, you know? I hope I'm not being too feisty here. I'm very interested in what you're saying. I'm wondering, can we define the parameters of what, we'll just say your specific, specific to you, your opinion of what like an ideal democratic socialist America would look like. Cause, cause you mentioned not paying rent and I'm like, I don't even know. Like that's so, I totally get the student debt thing. I totally get, you know, wanting a healthcare that, that is, of course, we're going to be taxed up the wazoo for that. So that there's like a trade-off there financially. So like what exactly in your mind, not just would be ideal, but like what is possible? Sure. So, I mean, I think that if we're talking magically, anything is possible, like, right. Like the thing is that like, as we sit here, we, we sit and think like, okay, like, can I imagine a world where I don't have to pay rent? I don't know if I can imagine that. 
Well, the people who are benefiting from rent aren't thinking that. They're thinking, how much can I absolutely get away with taking from people? Like, what is the most I can absolutely demand before people get their pitchforks, right? The people who are benefiting from the system that we're living under never sit back and question, should I really, you know, cut down that forest? Is it, is it really like, is that possible to, you know, raise the prices on this and that? Like, can we really like tax the poor this much more? Like they don't sit back and think that they just do it. Something that I think that again, like as witches we can bring to this is of an expansive imagination. Like we are people who talk to spirits and go into trance and do magic and like see things work through like the mind alone every day. Like we see the incredible power of that. And I think that, we need to restore that to people. I think that part of the reason things have gotten so bad is because people feel totally powerless. People have been just beaten down over the last several decades just so much that, well, why vote? Things don't get better. Why, why protest? Things don't, don't get better. Why listen to the news? Things don't get better. And like, I can't blame people who think like that because for a lot of people, things haven't gotten better. And you know, the, the lack of imagination and the, just feeling of depression and powerlessness is part of the plan. Like that's, that's a, that's something that they need you to feel in order so that you don't jump up and grab your pitchfork. Right. But I think that, you know, like when we think about, like I was in a, I was in a restaurant a few weeks ago. This was when the Amazon was really, you know, catching on fire. And that was like very much in the news. And I remember walking into this restaurant and I was, I sat at the bar and I looked at the menu at the bar of like all of their wines and all of the stuff that they had there. It was this Upper East, Upper East Side uh, like hotel bar. And they had bottles of wine on the menu that were literally $3,000 for a bottle of wine. Um, and if they can have that on the menu, that means that there's enough people who walk through that restaurant every single day with enough money to just drop that on a bottle of wine. That's just part of the meal, right? They can just do that. Which is more and than most case, people pay for their rent for a couple of months. Yes. And if there's enough money for people to just do that, there's enough money that we don't have to, that so many problems in our society are optional and they know that. And people, like, there, there's an, these are optional problems when people say like, well, we don't have the money to make education free. We don't have the money to fix climate change. We don't have the money to, you know, make this serve, to make healthcare free. We don't have the money for this and that. Like, that's just a lie. That's literally just a bold faced lie. Like the money is right there. It's just about who gets to have it and what they're using it on. And the people who have that money are spending it on fucking $3,000 bottles of wine. And like, really sit and think like, what could you have done with that money? And I bet you would have done a lot better things for society if you just got that money, right? Like whether that's putting it into the podcast, whether that's uh, helping out a friend who's sick, whether that's starting your own, like something that you want to like benefit your life, whether that's like your own entrepreneurship, like you were talking about, or whether that's like a, you know, a project of some sort, whatever it is, like, what could that money have gone to just in your own personal life? And then think about like, okay, could that have gone to a school? Could that have gone to roads? Could that have gone to housing? You know, the money is right there. We just, it's, it's our money. We, we as workers created that. We, we create everything around us with our own, you know, on our own backs. And so all of the extra wealth that people are able to take from that it's actually ours. Like we, we made it. So we just have to take it back. 
Right. And so you're saying do that with taxes? I think taxes are a good way to start. But I think it's also through, like, I mean, personally, if I was running for president tomorrow, my main thing would just be, like, no more billionaires. Every billionaire should become a millionaire, and then we'll talk about it. Like, just tax them out of existence, take that money, give it back to give it back to social services. Like, right now, the only way to do that is through taxes. I personally think that, like, poor people don't need to be paying almost any taxes, and that all of it should be done to billionaires, because they can actually afford it, and poor people usually can't. So... I, I don't, I, again, like I think a buzzword that's like used a lot is like, oh, like socialists are going to come and tax you more. And it's like, if you live in a trailer and like have three kids and can barely make ends meet, I really don't think that we need to be taking money from that person. I think we need to be taking money from Jeff Bezos who has like, makes literally like thousands of dollars a second. Like that's who I think we should be taking money from. I think there could be some laws put in place to just about a, a more equal distribution of the profits made by these big companies and then also more of a democracy within the big companies because we have these corporations established and there are millions of people who make their living off those corporations even though yeah. you know, at the bottom of that pyramid those people are barely making a living. So I think like laws put in place about like how much as the owner of this corporation or the people at the tippy top, how much do you get to take home as opposed to the person who's like standing for 12 hours flipping burgers in the hot high heat? And why does the person at the top get more of a say in what your day-to-day life looks like than you do? Like if you work at like, yeah, like let's say like a McDonald's, like why does the CEO of that get to decide your benefits, your wages, your hours, all of that kind of stuff when like they never come to your restaurant. They don't know what it's like to actually work there day in and day out. Like I I, I agree with everything you just said. Like I think that things should be run, you know, democratically within these structures. Like if you're a worker, you should have a say in like what, you should have some sort of say in what your day-to-day life looks like as a person working for whatever company you work for. Yeah. Let's let's bring it to witchy stuff because I think it's really sure, interesting. Yeah. The way you're the way you really dove in. I know. Sorry, questions. No, I, you know what don't, it is? No, I'll don't tell you apologize. what it is. I I think I have left values and more of a moderate strategy. My and this could be my age. I'm 45 years old. 46. I just turned 46. What am I saying? And um, so <laughs> Happy I birthday. thank you. I. To me, I feel like progress is made incrementally. And I feel like if you pull the pendulum back too far or like really dramatically, it, it's just nature. It's going to swing back that dramatically. And then you get this like wild back and forth between, you know, like this football game of awfulness that never ends. So I prefer incremental steps that don't set off alarms in the opposition. So they're not fighting back. Like, it's like, okay, we can take this step forward together. Because for me personally, that's how I have to negotiate with my shadow, for example. <laughs> like sure. it has to be yeah. like personal steps, like small steps forward, little micro movements that get me in the direction I want to go. And when I'm thinking beyond the personal, I'm thinking globally, that that's why I'm more moderate because I think like, how do you get like billions of people to all move in the same direction when it's such a radical movement? And it's not that I don't value those voices and listen to them and agree with some things they're saying. It's more of a, a strategic thing. So I thought it would be interesting 
to have somebody talk about, you know, a different opinion other than my own, which I don't normally express here anyway. Because people get so yeah, upset. Totally. People get so upset <laughs> when you talk about politics. But how you really start this book is from a witchy perspective. And I love the emphasis on connecting with the land. And mm-hmm. there's interesting spells here too, like how to build an ancestor altar, how to create a sigil as an activist. But you really emphasize this idea of, you know, if you're a pagan, if you're a witch, it's all about being connected to the land. And if you can hear the voice of the land, it's, it's your job as a witch to speak for it to those who can't. And I was like, okay, I totally get that. Thank you. Yeah. That's, um, I was actually, it's so funny you mentioned that, that bit, I was actually talking about a friend to that the other day. Um, there's a fellow activist over here in the, you know, uh, in New York city and, I was sort of saying like every time I go to a place, like he was saying how sad he is sometimes like when he goes to places of true beauty in nature, because you know, it, it is fleeting, you know, at this point in history and how just sad that makes him. And I, and I was saying, you know, I, it makes me sad, but I kind of take those moments of like bliss in nature. Like when I really get out of the city, when I really can connect to places of beauty of natural beauty, I, I did this actually, I was in San Francisco, um, a few months ago and I went to, to Mirror Woods, which is like, oh my God, like one of the most beautiful places. If you've ever, if you've never gotten the chance to go, you should try to find a way to go. It's, it's, it's incredible. It really is like this primordial, you know, energy in, in the land itself. It feels like it really is like taking you back, like in your own DNA and being like, this is what this is what the earth used to be like. It's this, it's this incredible place. But I remember like standing amongst the trees and just like kind of giving a dedication and saying like, I, I will fight for you. Like I will, like you are worth defending. You give us so much. Like all I can give back to you is my voice. Like all I can give is, is my voice to lend and hope that other people listen. But I think that that's, you know, we as witches, are actively engaged in this conversation with the world around us all the time. And I don't think you just have to, like, I live in New York city. I definitely don't live in like a cabin in the middle of the forest somewhere. Like I, I live in a very urban area. I don't think you have to live in nature to like in what we perceive as nature to recognize that like everything around us is the result of nature. Even things that look very divorced, like plastic and stuff like this is all a result of nature all result of how we treat nature and our relationship with it. And if you're having that constant conversation with the spirit of place around you, you know, the only thing that you can give back is thanks and perhaps a a way to act for it if it's threatened. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even as my favorite city, which tips to are one, we are nature. So (laughs) we are, Mm -hmm. we ourselves are nature. So if you're walking around a busy city, you're walking around like the human animal (laughs) and it's, you know, it's unnatural environment, but we created it. We created the environment, but also like weeds look for the weeds because they are hilarious. They are so persistent. Speaking of activism, I feel like the dandelion (laughs) is the like, the state flower for activ- activism <laughs> because it will like push Wait, through I the cracks. Wait, I love that. I love that. <laughs> it will push it's through the true. cracks of sidewalks, pavements. Like the second people stop tending to a house or a building or a street, like what happens? The weeds, they come right out and they're filled with nutrition and medicine. It's fascinating. 
Yeah. Yeah, totally. I love mugwort is my favorite weed mm-hmm. growing up. Like, I, lo- I love, I love seeing big bushes of mugwort walking around the city. Cause I, I feel like they're just so witchy and it feels like, yes, like we're going to make it through whatever, like the witches are, witches will always be here, like pushing up through the cracks. Yeah. Like you say. Yeah. And I, I, I think you said something else. I wrote this down. Where is it? Politics is about the movement wielding and embodiment of power in our world. And then you said, just replace the word power with energy. And you were talking about that in the hopes that people that are witchy would understand why politics is, is witchy. It's a witch, it's a witch thing. And I was like, yeah, that's, you have a great way of framing it and having it all make sense. And like I said, this book is, it's a small book, but it's like super packed because you move at, like I said, this brisk pace. You're just like, all right, roll up your sleeves. Let's do this thing. And then it's just, <laughs> go, and it, it just goes and it really packs a punch. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I think that that's a lot of people, I kind of talk, I guess in that, in that one passage, I sort of talk about how, like, I think a, a lot of people, I mean, I was definitely raised in school with the notion that uh, politics is all about compromise. And that's like, that is what the definition of politics is. Like it's about compromise. And I think compromise is definitely like, can be a good thing. And like, there are times you need to just compromise, whether that's in life in general or like in the political arena, like sometimes like compromises are just what need to happen. But if you got to that compromised table, like you got there through power, like you got there through the energy that you were able to wield and use and like bring you to that point. Think about the nature of a political campaign. If you're running for office, you're putting advertising out there, which is like trying to magically shape people's thoughts around you. You're giving speeches. These are like public rituals. Like you're, when you're sworn into office, that is like a grand public ritual that like all of a sudden now we all agree that this person has these powers to do something. And it's like nothing changed about the person, but we're, we're, it's, it's ritual. It's, it's, we're ritually giving them this power. Right. And I think once you kind of start to look at politics in that way, you know, if you're engaged in magic and if you're engaged in witchcraft, you start to be like, Oh, okay, I can fuck around with this. Like I can, I can get in the cracks there. Like we say, and, and start to make some changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To me too, I think of Lori Cabot's the power of the witch for me, which magic is all about power. It's about personal power and harnessing the natural powers of nature to hopefully move in sync with it (laughs) to create Mm -hmm. desired change. And when you talk, I hope, I hope people listening right now feel the way I feel because I'm smiling. I'm having a fabulous time. And I know, I know politics is really upsetting to people, which is why I, you know, I'm really trying to give like a rounded perspective here, even as we're sharing your personal take on like what needs to happen right now. And you're doing an amazing job, but I can hear in your voice that you love this shit, that you love it. And I think, (laughs) I think that's so infectious. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I think like I have, uh, I, something that I kind of say to myself, like a personal motto is like nihilism aids fascism. If you like, obviously there's, there's times and there's events and there's days where like all of this shit is just going to make us all so depressed. Like I had, I had one of those a few weeks ago. I think, I think it was in the midst of the Amazon burning and I just been through a breakup and I'm like, every, I was like, everything is falling apart. Um, and it, you know, there's times where like the world just feels too much. And like, you do have to just take those, those news breaks sometimes. And you do just have to sometimes, 
be like, I am not, I'm not looking at my phone. I am turning off notifications. I am, I am disengaging from this for the time being. Like you do, you do have to take those breaks, I think. But, you know, like kind of going back to what I was saying earlier, like there are people that want you to be depressed and hopeless because that if you're depressed and hopeless and you're not doing anything, well then bad people can do whatever the fuck they want and they, they can keep doing bad stuff because they've made you so depressed that you've checked out permanently. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I really do think that like joy and like, uh, very genuine, like, like, I really do believe that like a lot of my activism, a lot of the things that I do and I fight for, like genuinely come from a place of like love for the earth, love for people around me, like a love for like people in general, like, I really do think that people are incredible and like can do such amazing things and that we all have like the potential to to just be such wonderful, kind, giving, funny, awesome, weird little creatures walking around on this earth. And I, and I want us to be able to do that to the biggest extent that we can. I think that anger is necessary and and I also get very angry and upset but I don't think anger is what sustains me. I really do think what sustains me is this joy and this love. And I hope that that continues to be that. I hope that that is always so. And I hope that that helps buoy other people as well. When, yeah, when you can't it reminds be. me of like the fierceness of like a mountain lion, you know, she, <laughs> she's fierce because she's defending her cubs. You know what I mean? Anger is dangerous because it's its own power. Like that fire can burn you up, but there is such thing as righteous rage. And if you stay connected to love, why am I doing this? Cause I love the planet. I love people. I love, I love freedom. Then you get to mm-hmm. operate more from a place of like that righteous rage and, and you are using it and it's not using you, I think is the key to that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Like we talk about, I don't know, like you kind of mentioned shadow work earlier. And I think that that's a good IRL maybe example of that, of like, I really do feel such deep rage sometimes, but I think you put it very well, though. like if it's guided by love and if it's, if it's actually in service of something that I, that I love, then I'm using it to, I'm using that shadow power as, you know, instead of just being consumed by it all day, you know? Mm-hmm. What do your parents think of you? I, I we're gonna end this here in a second, but you you the first thing I saw was your I don't know why I turned to this page. It was on an unexpected page too. It was like the credits, you know, like the copyright page. And then oh, I yeah. noticed right across the top it said, To my parents, thank you for letting me be weird. I was like, Oh, that's so sweet. I love that. Are they proud yeah. of like the work that you're doing and all of that? They are proud. I don't know if they always understand what the work I'm doing is, but I think they're proud of it. nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Like I said, my, my parents have always been very politically informed and involved. So I think that this was always, this was something I was, I was raised with a dark gift from a, from a young age. <laughs> but I think, so I think, I don't know, I came out as a witch a few years ago to them. And I don't think it was kind of when I started being more public about it and started writing articles about it more. And it was just sort of like, yep, that's me. I'm like, that's what I'm doing. And I think, you know, they always knew I was a weird kid that I was always watching, like sneaking away to watch horror movies. And that's always in the occult section of the bookstore and really into mythology and stuff like that as a kid. So I was always a weird kid. They always knew that that was a thing about me. So I guess they just have a name for it now, but they're, yeah. they're proud of me and I'm very, I'm very lucky to have parents that are proud of this 
whatever this weird life that I'm living is. <laughs> it's a beautiful life. It's awesome. You're doing great yeah. things. Before I let you go, I want to make sure that people can find your URL, people that are listening on the road that aren't like staring at a computer right now. So you, can you shout that out? Yeah. So if you want to find me, um, you can go to my Instagram at City Mystic. I also have a website, sarahlyons.org.com was taken. So sarahlyons.org, and that has a list of all my articles and a pre-order link for my book and a uh, you know, contact page and all that good stuff. I don't know how to pronounce this, so I was just going to straight up ask you, what is the name of your podcast? Is it Pop Cult with a V? Pop Cult, a v? yes. Okay. The pot, yeah, it's a, with a V instead of a, a U. So yeah, Pop Cult or Pop Cult Podcast. We took a little bit of a break while I was writing the book, but we just recorded a couple episodes, so we should be back up and running very soon. So yeah, also be sure to subscribe to Pop Cult Podcast. It's, uh, it's just me and my friend. He actually also lives in LA over there. But um, we just sort of talk about magic and culture and politics and whatever we sort of feel about. It's sort of looking at the world through a magical lens. So whatever we decide the topic is that week, whether it's cultural or political or pop cultural, what have you, uh, we just, you know, what do we as, as magic people sort of think of this? What do, what do we make of this? Yeah. I saw you wrote an article about um, pop culture being a gateway to the occult. So it sounds like your podcast is that as well. <laughs> we'll get them okay. all. We'll get them all in someday. It is okay. October. So it's, you know, it's, it's the time to cuddle up with a copy of the craft or oh, yes. uh, the witch or some other fun witchy movie, Absolutely. whatever your flavor is. Oh my gosh. Yes. Okay. And so my final question is the same question I ask at the end of all of these interviews. So what is one tip for creating the kick-ass life of your dreams? Oh man. Hmm. What's the one tip I would give people? I, this was a piece of it. It's, it's very weird to have a motto, but this was a, this was something somebody said to me a long time ago, like when I was a really young like kid and it's always stuck with me. And if I had to choose a motto, this would probably be it. But uh, never be too serious, but always be sincere. Hmm. That is my, that is the energy I try to walk through the world with. You know, don't take things too seriously. Don't take yourself too seriously. Things have a way of working out or not working out in the way that they're going to do so. But, um, you know, approach things with sincerity. You know, like don't, yeah, like don't bog yourself down with, Oh my God, is this going to happen? Is that going to happen? I'm freaking, you know, freaking out about the what ifs and the, the seriousness that you approach stuff with. Don't be too serious. Just be sincere about it. You know, yeah. sincerely, sincerely live your life. And I think that that's just always been something I kind of, I return to sometimes when I, when I am feeling the craziness set upon me. Yeah. You're walking, you're walking your talk. I feel that in talking to you. I feel that sincerity for sure. Thank you. That really means a lot. Thank you so much. Okay. So how did you like it? How did you like it? I have a couple more things I wanted to, to mention before I let you go. And one is a podcast that I listened to last year. I think it's in eight parts. It's like a standalone series that I think is amazing if you're curious about politics. And what's great about it is it's really educational. 
insanely entertaining. The production value is so high on this thing, but also it's about the politics from decades past. So hopefully nobody nobody gets their feelings hurt because we're talking about the days of Nixon, or I should say Rachel Maddow is talking about the days of Nixon. And if you're not familiar with Rachel Maddow, this is a great place to start. She is an incredible, an incredible TV personality, but really more than that, a Rhodes Scholar and investigative journalist. I adore her. The name of the podcast is Bag Man. I'm going to link to it. Bag Man, who was... Richard Nixon's vice president, Spiro Agnew. I had never heard that name before. I was very uneducated about this, but apparently Spiro Agnew was not a good guy. Not a good guy. So in addition to Richard Nixon essentially getting the boot, even though he resigned, it was really important that Spiro Agnew get the boot as well and it's just it's really intriguing and suspenseful the music is very cool so I'm gonna link to that if you haven't had a chance to listen to it you can listen to it for free which is awesome if you don't get MSNBC and you don't know who Rachel Maddow is dude you have to know who Rachel Maddow is (laughs) the other thing is politics in cinema I'm so obsessed with this. If you follow me on Twitter, you may have seen me posting about this because I was I was not pleased. I was not pleased to see that Charlie's Angels, the reboot of Charlie's Angels that was written, directed, produced by and co-starred an awesome woman by the name Elizabeth Banks, a really famous actress. You may know her. It was it bombed. It tanked. And it really pissed me off because on day one, before the numbers were even coming in on the first day's box office, the industry was labeling it a flop. And this movie got labeled by, I don't know if it was the studio or if Elizabeth Banks made this choice or them together. It was really marketed as a feminist movie it was labeled that way and marketed that way so there was a lot of backlash and then a lot of shit talking about it before people had even seen it because people many many people really hate that word and that idea and that drove me crazy because when I went to see the movie I saw it Friday opening day I was so excited I saw it with my kid and it was a packed theater and get this most of the people in that theater were men our entire row except for me was was men it was all men so there were lots of couples there and then they're actually maybe this is because I live in Hollywood I don't know I don't know or I live in Glendale which is just outside Hollywood we all think we're a part of Hollywood here (laughs) so maybe it was like that because I heard people were going into empty theaters to see it and it was packed on a Friday night, we saw it at Universal City Walk with lots of men, and the energy was electric. People were buzzing because this movie is so much fun. It is very pretty girls kicking butt. Awesome music, awesome visuals. It's so, it's just a blast. It's an absolute blast, and it features the first gay angel, the first Indian angel and the first black angel 
they're all amazing, super gorgeous, super badass. And the movie does have like a women's empowerment flavor, but that is not at all distracting. It's not preachy. It's just super fun and kick-ass. And I had to say that because it just bugs me to see this movie joyfully, joyfully flopping. Like everybody, not everybody, but many people are so excited to bag on it. And they were from day one, like I said. So if I can have any small little part in lifting this movie up by word of mouth, I am so happy to do it and very, very confident that you will not be mad at me if you actually take my word for it and go see this movie. I think you will love it. And then I guess I should end on a semi-serious note, although I'm dead serious. Go see Charlie's Angels. It's really, really good. <laughs> One final thought. In case you're listening to this in a timely fashion, please, please don't let politics wreck your holiday. Do not let it come between you and your family. I know that it can be frustrating, even infuriating, when someone that you love sides with an ideology you believe is hateful or a product of the enemy that you stand against, but it's not worth it to lose your family. Don't let people who would be thrilled to see you filled with hate win. Love wins. Love will win if only for us each individually if we choose to let it. So happy holidays, my friends. Until we meet again, much love to you. Peace. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.